everybody. Good morning. Yes. Welcome to the film room. This is our Like It cast. This is a cast that has been in the offing since the very beginning, essentially. It has. We are both big fans of the com- the British company Leica. They help keep the stop motion medium alive. They have made two films thus far. One in 2009, uh, Coraline, based off of a Neil Gaiman story, and one just a couple of years ago, 2012, Paranorman. Yeah, we're, we're doing a cast on two films, a double feature. There's really not much to say about the company's foundations, so I feel like this would be a good moment, just before we get into the cast, to really talk about where was stop-motion animation before they came along. Especially because, honestly, where stop-motion animation was in cinema before it came along pretty much plays directly into the two films that we're going to be discussing since the people that worked on it are all veterans of uh, the two big forces. Uh, Stop motion, of course, has been legendary since the 1960s, especially, uh, you know, the animated specials. We've all seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Rankin-Bass stuff. Yeah, Rankin-Bass. See, which I just saw Arthur Rankin died just a couple of weeks ago. That's right, I forgot about that. Sad. You know, we all know the story about stop-motion animation and Christmas specials and all that. Stop-motion animation, of course, leapt to the big screen with The Nightmare Before Christmas. That wasn't the first stop-motion animation feature film, was it? That was. That was the first time that anybody had done a full-length one. Really? I did not know that. Barely. The film's not particularly long. It's only about, yeah, what, 75 a... minutes or so. Yeah, it's like an hour and ten minutes. It's it's a it's a quick one. Uh, look, we've given our thoughts on um, the Nightmare Before Christmas on the horror cast, and even if we hadn't, we're film fans. You know we love it, and uh, mm-hmm. although we're not done with that film quite yet on this cast, but let's 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 get through the history real quick. That film comes out, does not make a tremendous amount of money. The fact that it was so weird actually prompts toy companies to be afraid the next time that. Uh, Disney tries to go into a different form of animation, and as a result, toy companies decide to avoid Toy Story with uh, a fervor, except for a small company uh, called Thinkway Toys. I really doubt anybody has to figure out what happened next. That was kind of a stupid idea. We're going to avoid the history of CGI animated films for now, because for that's, now. That's, it's an enti- that's its own entire epic series of casts. Disney did dip its toes back into the water for stop motion with the live action stop motion James and the Giant Peach, which is on Netflix. This is true. Which is a very good film. That film, uh, like Nightmare Before Christmas, comes from director Henry Selleck. Again, keep that in mind. We're going to carry that over. Stop motion animation pretty much stalls out for four years. There's really not much going on in the genre on screen until Ardman Animation decides to get into things in 2000. With Chicken Run. The amazing, awesome... We're not doing an Ardman cast, we're doing Leica, but man do I love Ardman animation. Ardman kind of keeps the flame uh, going. Uh, They released that film in 2000. Then it's another five years because they had a planned stop-motion animation film that fell apart. And when that fell apart, they decided, okay, let's just go to what's good and safe for us. Wallace, Gromit, get out here. (laughs) In 2005, we actually had two separate stop-motion animation films. The Tim Burton co-directed Corpse Bride. Oh yeah, I forgot that was the same year. Which I honestly don't think is all that good, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, 
For me, it was sort of lukewarm. I didn't really it's get the point. Okay. Yeah. But I, I think the brevity of it really hurts it. Ardman, um, as I said, in the same year, Ardman releases Wallace and Gromit, um, which was a feature-length Wallace and Gromit movie. I don't really know how much more we have to say. Yes, and it yeah. was it held up to all the standards uh, set in place by the previous three shorts. The uh, stop-motion animation then kind of goes into a... Because of how time-consuming it is, I mean, it just goes into a lull. Um, even Ardman decides to go into CG animation with Flushed Away. Yeah, I was... I haven't seen Flushed Away, so I can't comment on the actual film or how it turned out. I have, and let me tell you something. Uh, it's no different from if it was the stop-motion film. The CG is done to look like stop-motion. The frame rate isn't the same, but it has mm -hmm. that same kind of look. The characters have the very Ardman teeth. Yeah. And it's a lovely, funny film. Uh, okay. A couple of people who worked on that film... Uh, would come over to Leica for the second half of our cast. So, mm, nice. Again, you see why I'm going through the history of stop motion. It's kind of important to it's establish. It's all interconnected. And uh, so, as I said, um, yeah, even Ardman wound up going to CG. And yeah, with with Flushed Away, it's it's a really good film. It's very funny, and I think it's well worth your time if you get the chance to see it. Okay. All right, because that's. That's one of the things that hugely put me off since seeing that while well, they did in CG. I mean, it's still Ardman. Like ideas, are, ideas are ideas, and that can't, and the medium can't change that. But it's one of those, oh, really? Things. It's side-splittingly funny, and it's just shot through with everything that Ardman does best. Um, in no way does it feel like it's them trying to give in to the animation trends of the current day. It has its own Good. weird feeling. Uh, a very British voice cast, aside from the French Jean Renault and the Australian Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Good. And like everything else British, it's got Bill Nye in it because, well, of it course. has to. It's good. It's good. Um, but anyway, that kind of sets the stage. Stop motion basically has, rather fittingly, had a series of starts and stops. Yeah. Yeah. And this brings us to 2009 and a little bit of the history of Leica. Um, from what I've read, I note they were founded out of the ashes of Will Vinton Studios. Uh, Will Vinton, of course, being the man sadly most famous for the California Raisins. Aw. He did he did a number of other specials, though, and stuff like that. But that's his most iconic, most memorable. Yeah, if you're, if you're famous for something, you're famous for something, and those were huge business. I'll never quite understand why, but they were huge business. <laughs> Whoever sells those raisins. Yeah. They managed to make dried grapes a huge seller, so... An interesting fact about Leica, one of the major investors in the company is Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Really? And that might seem strange, but from what I've read, it was partially for looking out for the family. Apparently his son is a stop-motion animator. Hmm. Really? That's pretty nice. So Knight was looking out for the family interests, and uh, he is a major investor in the company. I mean, it kind of makes sense also because uh, for all those puppets, they do tailor clothes for them. Mm hmm. So, I mean, and it is a shoe company, but the shoes are clothing, so, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. 
I will say that in addition to their feature films, they did do a stop motion sequence in Harold and Kumar uh, 3, the Christmas <laughs> one. Oh, that's funny. That sequence is very twisted and strange. <laughs> now I'll have to see these films. I love the entire trilogy. I think all three <laughs> movies are pretty brilliant. So, But uh, again, that kind of sets the stage. So, without further ado, let's get into discussing Coraline. Before we address this film, let's clarify one thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. It is from the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton yes. had nothing to do with this film. No. With Nightmare Before Christmas, you mean? Um, well, honestly, yeah, I could say the same for Nightmare Before Christmas because he yeah, just yeah. threw a few ideas at the filmmakers. Henry Selleck was the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas, not Tim Burton. This is something that right. really kind of annoys me. Tim Burton did direct Course Bride, but... Yes, Burton did direct that one. Well, co-directed it with Mike Johnson. And I've actually seen some sources say that Leica did some work on Corpse Bride. I don't know how much. Really? I, I just wanted to say that that's been cited. I don't. I can't really get a firm estimate on how much they did, if any. But again, Tim Burton did not direct the these films. I think he only produced James and the Giant Peach, which Selleck directed. And again, just to be clear, Henry Selleck directed Coraline. He wrote the screenplay and directed it. Uh, based on a novel by Neil Gaiman. So there. That's the creative thing that you need to know. Yes. The most amazing thing to me uh, was that, you know, not only is this stop-motion film, but it's also, uh, it was also shot in 3D. Mm-hmm. This was, I think, the first time that they ever did a stop-motion film shot in 3D. Yes. And they made a big, huge deal of the fact that... Well, they still do. They make a big, huge deal of the fact that everything you see on screen is made by hand. They, they insert some CG elements in their films, but I mean, it's very limited. It's very limited to um, necessity. It's stuff that you can't do. Um, right. We'll especially get into that on the next film. Yeah, of course. I, I did go see it in 3D. As did I. I've been wanting to see it in true 3D again ever since because, wow. It looks gorgeous in 3D. The texture really pops out at you. Oh, it does. There are certain sequences that just kind of, like, especially when she's crawling through the tunnel, that really just, you know, the, the film is not only shot for it, but it's also, like, they kind of made it all with the 3D in mind. I don't know how to yeah. describe it, but the 3D is woven into the, you know, how the story is played out on the screen, how the story is executed. They even play with the 3D, um, limiting the usage of it in the early mm -hmm. sequences, and then uh, making it much bolder in the later ones. Yeah, in the, uh, fan in the when she enters the other world. Mm-hmm. The scene where... You know, she's trying to escape from the other mother, you know, and she realizes what she is. And, uh, by the way, spoiler alert, full spoilers for this. We're assuming you've seen the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's more than five years old at this point. And it's a very well-received film. It's a film that was very popular, made money. I would say that we had toned down the spoilers for Paranorman, but we can't without... We can't talk about that film without spoiling. So... With Paranorman, we're just going to tell you that it's on Netflix, so if you haven't right. seen it, stop, and then come back and listen to that portion. Right. It's not time lost at all. No. But yeah, 
yes, this the sequence where she's escaping from the other mother, and she's crawling down, she's crawling back through the tunnel, which is now filled with, like, uh, old dusty cobwebs and lost things, and just, like, it's all um, dirty, and, you know, she's crawling through, and you see, like, you know, the other mother trying to beat down the other door, and it just keeps getting closer. That's an intense sequence in 3D. Yeah, it is. Um, but they really use it well. Yeah, the, the, uh, this was a movie that was not only shot for 3D; it was worked with, and they understood 3D. Yeah, it, it was it was a very smart decision. This was actually keep in mind this movie was really at the dawn of the 3D boom. Mm-hmm. About four years after. Yeah, they were advertising trailers for it. About I saw trailers in late 2007 for yeah. a 2009 release because. That was how little 3D content was out there. That they were advertising this one early because they wanted to get people aware of it. This was a movie that was very much at that first wave of the new 3D. Mm-hmm. And thank God for that. I'm just going to say right now, Roger Ebert criticized the 3D in his review. Again, <laughs> we, we addressed in our Ebert cast that he was not a fan of 3D. He was wrong here. He was usually wrong about 3D, but he was certainly wrong here. This was a movie that made usage of it and used it like a tool as it should i know that exists on like blu-ray 3d it's -hmm. gonna be a long time before i own a 3d tv but they did release both 2d and 3d versions on the dvds but they came with like the little red and blue glasses which never worked for me yeah and let me tell you i've tried it god it doesn't work like even even if you try to look past the color tint and the eye strain it causes it still it still does not work at all. I know that we both wear glasses, and mm-hmm. like whereas I can slip 3D glasses over my standard pair, and it looks just fine. Right. With this, it yeah no no, no it doesn't work. No, it, it doesn't. Because the one time that I tried <laughs> to watch a movie in red blue 3D, it just get it just made my eyes burn, and it, I couldn't get it to synchronize right. Uh, And also, it was Spy Kids 3D, so I was in hell no two ways about it. (sighs) But, anyway. Let's talk about something happy. (laughs) Talk about this film. The film is about a girl named Coraline. She has just moved in to an apartment complex called the Pink Palace. Upstairs is a neighbor who uh, trains rats. Circus rats. This is what he does. Uh, It's very strongly suggested that he's uh, an alcoholic. (laughs) This is true. Um, as in her mother even says something to that effect. I did not call him crazy, Coraline. He's drunk. He is a wonderfully... All the characters in this movie are amazing, I'll tell you that. They are. There are a very limited number of characters in the film. I counted, including the du- the uh, the other world doubles, I counted about 15 uh, on-screen characters for the entire film, which is kind of cool. I like that. The downstairs neighbors are two ex-performers, Miss Spink and Miss Forcible. Very strongly implied to have been burlesque performers. Yeah, the two posters that they show are King Lear, as in the king is leering at... Yeah. And, God, I forgot what the other one is, but it's even more suggestive. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's no getting around the fact. The movie makes it no. very clear. There are ex-burlesque performers, and some have read the idea that maybe they are potentially... Potentially they're in a Boston marriage, is the best way to put it. Right, right, yes. L- lovers, yes. Yes. 
This could be. I, I believe it. This is something that's been read into it, and mm-hmm. because of the tone of the general film, I I don't not read that in there. I It would not surprise me at all. For God's sake, it's Neil Gaiman, so yes. Yeah, we're going to get into the Gaiman aspect of this uh, in a moment. I have to admit, I have very limited uh, knowledge of Neil Gaiman's works, but uh, the ones I have seen like adaptations for are genius. I've I've read quite a bit of his work, uh, including this book, um, and yeah, this is this has game and his vibe running through the entire piece. This is good. This is a superb adaptation of his work. In fact, at one time, Selleck was thinking that if he had made the film Brit- set in Great Britain, he would have gotten Gaiman to do a voice for the film <laughs> because nice. Gaiman has an awesome speaking voice uh he read the audiobook of it which is actually how i was exposed to it was i listened to the audiobook she sat up in bed something went caroline got out of bed and looked down the hall but saw nothing strange caroline wondered if she dreamed it whatever it was something moved it was little more than a shadow and it scuttled down the darkened hall fast, like a little patch of night. She hoped it wasn't a spider. Spiders made Coraline intensely uncomfortable. And Gaiman read it, and he just has this wonderful, uh, very Alan Rickman-esque uh, reading voice. That's it's it's good. Wow, cool. Yeah, Alan Rickman without without the uh, douchiness. <laughs> oh, there's still a touch of that there, but I mean, he. Yeah, yeah. But no, uh, he would have uh, he he would have voiced the cat for the record is the part that uh, I think I read that they wanted. Ah, oh, right. Keith David does the uh, does the cat in the Keith David does and does his usual job. So you must be the other cat. No, I'm not the other anything. I'm me. But yeah, and then you have uh, Coraline's parents who are basically gardening journalists. They write about gardening. And, uh, of course, the mother is Terry Hatcher, and the father is John Hodgman. You know, this house is 150 years old. So? So, explore it. Go out and count all the doors and windows and write that down. on List everything that's blue. Just let me work. Which is awesome. It is awesome. He has a good voice for this kind of work. Yeah. Coraline herself is uh, Dakota Fanning. Four incredibly boring windows and no more doors. This is some of the strongest work Fanning has actually gotten to do in any medium. Yeah, she does a really good job. She nails it. She does a really good job of making you like this character who's very... (laughs) She's very forceful. She's... Prickly. Yeah, she's very prickly. Yeah. Obviously, she's going through a very stressful time in her life. You know, the problem is, of course, her parents are preoccupied uh, and really have no time for her. Even though, I love how they bring this out, especially in the middle section of the film. It's like her mother is kind of impatient with her, you know, because she keeps bothering her. But it's not like her mother doesn't love her. No. Yeah. And same with her father. Her father tries. Oh, my twitchy witchy girl, I think you are so nice. I give you bowls of porridge and I give you bowls of Ugh. ice cream. These are good people. It's just that, I mean, Coraline, she's at an age where she's kind of, you know, it's it's an awkward age. I hated that age. Good God. I despised it. 
It would be like middle middle school. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, I was a right prat at that period in my life, and <laughs> same. I mean. Part of the problem that the character has is that the only kid her age is the irritating Wyborn. I'm Wybie. Wybie Lovett. Wybie? Short for Wyborn. Not my idea, of course. And it's kind of funny, that name almost feels like a nod to the fact that he was not in the original book. Really? He was invented for the movie so that she could have somebody to talk to and voice her thoughts to. That's very interesting. Uh, even though she does talk to herself a lot. But I mean... He's a seamless insert into the story, and the character works so well, and he's he's so awkwardly likable, and you feel for the kid, so... Yeah. Robert Bailey Jr. A name I don't recognize, but a face I do. That's kind of weird. Oh yeah, he was one... I think he's the kid who gets shot in the happening. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. Boy, there's a credit to be proud of. Oh well, the very next year he got to do Coraline, so that's Yeah, Balm on the Wound. <laughs> Exactly. But no, he's he's a likable character. He's a, he's a likable insert into the story. Yeah. You you so feel sorry for his uh for his other world double. Yeah. Great. Another wipey. Hello, why were you born? Hello. I thought you'd like him more if he spoke a little less. So I fixed him. Interesting about the other world doubles is the only one who's actually evil is the other mother, the one who runs it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's get into the other world. I mean, uh, yeah, if we're gonna jump into that, that is the point in the story that we're at. The story of the film is that Coraline discovers a doorway into an alternate universe, parallel world where she has an other mother. Everybody is like the most perfect versions of themselves, and she can eat whatever she wants and. Yeah, she could do whatever she wants. And it's always, it's always, always nighttime in this world. Warning sign number one. Yes. Like, it's never not night. Even, even when she goes there during the day. I love that she's not, she doesn't immediately take to it. Like, she's no. like, well, of course, like anybody would. But, you know, things are just so perfect that it's suspicious. You mean like hide and seek? Perfect. <gasps> hide and seek? In the rain. What rain? Huh. What about the mud? We love mud here. It's great for poison oak. How'd you know I... I... I'd love to play, but... I better get home to my other mother. And that goes along with the character's nature. She's very... Yeah. ...prickly anyway, so it's not gonna make sense for this character to immediately fall head over heels. Right. The one thing that should be noted about this world is that everybody has one key trait. My mother doesn't have buttons. <laughs> Do you like them? Otherwise, they're the most perfect versions of these characters that they could possibly be. All except the cat, because there's only one cat. And he, he can only talk in the conventional sense in the other world. Exactly. And again, he's got those smooth smooth pipes of goliath coming out of him yeah <laughs> yes one of the first indications for the uh like when the other father shows up instead of hammering away on a typewriter which by the way he types using the peck and search method so do i what's your point <laughs> i never learned to type conventionally and i work at a computer for a living so go figure hey so did dan rather so there you go yeah He's also typing on, like, this old, like, Smith Corona. My parents used to own one of those. It's... that's so laborious. 
Well, everything in this world kind of has that look like there's a very indiscriminate time period going on. Right, exactly. I mean, it's kind of the modern age, but I mean, not really. So yeah, the, and of course, in the study in the other world, he has a, he's playing a piano. He's typing on a piano. Only, he's not really playing it. The piano plays him. And that should be... That's one of the other indicators that, hey, something maybe is not right here. The musical number was actually a uh, an artifact from when they were planning on making the movie a musical. Really? Yes. But yeah, you can kind of tell. And the song does feel, like, very lyrical and fleshed out. It was... Uh, the song came from uh, They Might Be Giants. Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal of mine. She's as cute as a button in the eyes of everyone who ever laid their eyes on Coraline. When she comes around exploring mom and I will never ever make it boring, our eyes will be on Coraline. Oh, really? Oh, that makes sense. They were going to do it, and they've said that they are going to release all the music at some point in different forms, that hmm. they just... But that, yeah, the they decided not to go with making the movie a musical. In fact, the lead singer of that group does the uh, vocals for the other father in that song. Nice. He sings the song, so yeah. That's awesome. Oh, God, I love They Might Be Giants. So much fun. They do so much cool stuff. Yes, they do. You have this world that just seems perfect, like... In this version, the, all the neighbors, their acts are perfect. Uh, the uh, old women are young again. and uh, Yeah, although not, not immediately. <laughs> not immediately. Wyborn can't speak. They sewed his mouth shut. Yes. Boy, there's some horrifying imagery. Yes. This is... It was pointed out repeatedly at the time that this movie was released. It was released about the same time as the Woeful Friday the 13th remake. And it was pointed out, if you want to see something that's scary and unsettling, go see the kids' film. Right. Yeah, running pattern, and I do like this, is that Leica does not make safe kid films. No, they do not. Oh. I like that, I like that in this era, those still exist. Because they need to exist. They need to exist. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, at this point... Uh, at the point that we're recording this, we've already released our Lego movie uh, mm -hmm. mini-sodes, so you can go listen to that for our thoughts on if that one qualifies as safe. No, uh, it's not. No, it's not. No. Not even remotely. And it's great. Even though we recommend everybody go see it. By the way, judging by the second weekend box office, apparently a lot of people did. Oh, good. Uh, had a huge week-to-week -week hold. As it should. So, yay, good movies. But anyway, but anyway, getting, getting back to this one. Again, everything... Everything is just very unsettling and creepy in this other world. But it still also seems like it's some, supposed to be paradise. And then it comes time for Coraline to sew the buttons onto her own eyes. Black is traditional. But if you'd prefer pink, or vermilion, or chartreuse, though you might make me jealous. No way! I should also note that the, uh, one of the motifs running throughout the film are the mice, mm -hmm. Mr. Bobinski's mice, who of course turn out to be rats, which is a perfect metaphor for the movie. As a former rat owner, I'm not particularly high on that. <laughs> I know. I, I've interacted with rats, and they are sweet creatures. They're adorable. But, yeah. They're just big mice, that's all. They're just big mice. <laughs> right. They're very affectionate. But yeah, just saying for the yeah for the for the movie that's too. how it works for the metaphor. But yeah, once once uh, once Coraline rejects the idea of sewing the eyes 
uh, the buttons onto her eyes. The other world quickly turns into a hellish nightmare. Mm -hmm. There's no other word for it. Then the other mother partially reveals herself. I'll give you to the count of three. One. Two. which is kind of a giant spider like and that also slowly kind of kind of converges yeah that imagery that she's she's a spider and this is her web this is how she catches you this is i mean it's really horrifying stuff uh Mm -hmm. the way that the world dissolves and collapses and becomes Mm. i get chills every time like that happens in, in the movie this is really unsettling stuff. Mm-hmm. Selleck knows his way around imagery. He knows about creating atmosphere. Again, this is the man that oversaw Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, played back to back with Nightmare Before Christmas, would make a great double feature. Yeah, it would. But yeah, there is. Uh, you know, I, I say that she's the only evil thing in the other universe. No, the uh, forcible slash spink creature that they become like in the in the finale is terrifying but it's more that everything that's in that world is an out is an outgrowth of herself this is true you also kind of get the um you know because the the other father like helps her like even before his demise sorry Scene with the uh, the YB of the other world, and when the other father starts to like fall apart, he turns ugh. into a pumpkin. Yeah, that's unsettling. That's really frightening. That's very unsettling. And I think I think the idea behind maybe the other father and the and YB is that they were not of like they were actually made from materials, just like the little Coraline doll that she uses to spy. Like they were, so maybe that kind of influenced alignment a bit if that makes sense it does it does yeah because you know he takes off his it's like come with me you know you have to it's like no i don't belong in your world take you know takes off his hand and see and shows that it's just he's made of sawdust it's just really ugh. Mm-hmm. i mean i'm glad this movie was stop motion and not live action because it probably no. it would have earned an r rating for horror it would have the cute things will become not so cute. Mm-hmm. I use the word cute lightly. Yeah, this 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 is a movie that definitely belonged in stop motion. That was the way to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And it gives it the fable feeling that it was supposed to have from the word go. Yes. I mean, this movie really does kind of remind me a little bit of a Germanic fairy tale. Oh, God, yeah. With the, ste- with the children stealing and all. Yeah, because that's what we find out the other mother is doing, is she's done this before, and she's stealing children's souls. Yeah, basically. Yeah, she throws her into this, uh, like, little dungeon that she can't get out of through a mirror. She meets the ghosts of the three children uh, that she's captured before, who one of whom is the sister of the uh, of the landlord who disappeared when they were kids. YB's uh, gr- grandmother, actually. Yeah. So it's his grand-aunt. That. Yes, yeah. Who it kind of implies that uh, she kind she worked out what happened to her because she doesn't let she doesn't let people with children rent out the apartment, mm-hmm. and she doesn't and she definitely does not let Wyborn go up there. Yeah. Note: I know that they more often call the character YB, but 
Wyborn is just such an awesome name. <laughs> it is. And it's used interchangeably, so. But yeah, that, that that's such a great character. And the way he's introduced is great, too. Like, he inexplicably is riding on a, on like a little moped with skeleton gloves and like this welder's helmet that has like interchangeable lenses. It's, it's, it's very weird <laughs> and strange. Oh, wait. Have we used those words enough to describe this movie? Because we could probably use them about 60 more times and not do it justice how odd this movie is. Mm-hmm. It's extremely out there. I mean, this is just on the border of being too weird to have gotten a mainstream theatrical release. <laughs> yeah. Much less, again, having been a pretty decent-sized hit for what it was. It, I mean, it didn't top the box office, but it did pretty well. And it did great on video. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, uh, enough for Leica to keep going. Yeah, um, it should be noted that their uh, deal with uh, Focus Features is continuing on. Um, Good. Uh, their third film will be still through Focus. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very weird introduction, the way that he's dressed. and It's enough to tell you immediately, this is an individual character. Mm -hmm. This is not just whatever stereotype you want to plug him into. And he's also in league with the, uh, with the cat. He, he mm -hmm. has befriended the cat. God, let's talk about the cat. We've kind of talked around him a bit. He's the almost necessary character who knows everything that's going on. He's very much a force of exposition. He is. He is. Uh, very well used, though. He is. The cat is great because uh, he basically, like, the only... He just goes in and out of the other world just to piss off the other mother. Like, that's that's... The only reason he goes over there is just to piss her off. And find a way to help Coraline, ultimately. But, I mean, he's right. just this... He's this very strange character who exists... Again, he's largely a force of exposition. He does a mm -hmm. lot to help explain what's going on. Mm -hmm. Again, he's got those great... Keith David is one of those guys. He, he's all, it, It's always great to see him in something, even when it's a terrible film like All About Steve. Mm -hmm. Even with that one, when he's in there, it's like, Oh, cool. Keith David's in this. Awesome. <laughs> I get to listen to that. By the way, I recommend, if you haven't read it, his random roles that he did for the AV Club is mm -hmm. first rate. Uh, he goes through pretty much his entire career, and the guy seems very happy with it, is what's cool about it. <laughs> Good. Oh, and by the way, Disney, while you're looking at properties to try and like bring to the big screen, where's my Gargoyles movie? That's right. I, uh, if the if the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie is not just an empty promise, then that could be next. I would, because I'm serious, that's really a great movie that Disney owns all the rights to it. Do it, and if you're going to do it, just like with Peter Cullen on Transformers, bring David back to do the voice. I, that, that's what really? I Really? Does he do the head, the, head, the head gargoyle? Keith David? Yeah, he's mm -hmm. Goliath. Really? Nice. He's, he's Goliath. I do not know if this is some odd ritual or, or a game, perhaps, but I find it most disconcerting. Oh, I can hear it now. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's absolutely Goliath, and yeah, he brings that very iconic, resonant voice to the film, and he's, he's awesome. I will say that ha had they gotten Gaiman to do it, actually David's voice is kind of, imagine that, but British, and that's kind of how Gaiman, I think, would have done it. Oh, nice. That very trickster quality, because that's certainly how Gaiman reads the part. Like, the central room in all this is the room where she enters and exits the portal. You know, it ends with the other mother getting desperate and basically stealing her parents. Uh, you know, she plays a game with her. The cat suggests 
challenging her to something because, you know... She... she may not play fair, but she won't refuse. She's got a thing for games. To be fair, Coraline doesn't play fair back. No, this is definitely not a movie to learn the lesson of uh, playing fair. Nope. This ain't My Little Pony. Yeah, but that, that central room in the other world, you see that it's filled with furniture that's shaped like insects. Well, later that, you know, you, you find out why. Yeah. When she enters the room for the last time and everything's just falling apart and the entire outer world has dissolved. Like, the bugs are just sort of limping and just trying to... And it's because they're caught in a web. They're acting as if they've been caught in a web, which... The room does literally transform into a giant web. Quite terrifying. The, the way that this movie plays with, like, reality and what you're seeing is... Oh, I mean, there there's just stuff that you couldn't do in any other medium. Which is quite amazing. That's the thing that stands out in my mind uh, when I think of the 3D for this movie, is when that room transforms, it, like, dips down into a giant web. That's when it really stands out. This could not have been an easy film to make, and uh, mm -mm. the effort just shows. It. Yeah. Big time. God, the way that web moves, and, you know, to a point where she gets stuck on one of the sticky bits, and, you know, she, at this point she has torn out the button eyes of the other mother, you know, and she unsticks her foot, and the web goes, ripples all the way down. It's like, oh, that's an amazing effect. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, she frees her parents, and they don't remember being captured at all. But look at the snow on your clothes! What's gotten into you, Coraline? You know, the end basically ends with all of them, everybody gardening, which is nice. It's It, it, it ends on a nice happily ever after, but good god. Yeah. The road to get there. Um, thing that I will mention that I, the usage of the sky in this film. It's mm. always gray. It's always overcast. It's always gloomy. Except at the end. Except at the end, of course. And admittedly, I believe the film is supposed to be set in, like, the Northwest. Yeah, like Oregon. and I think it's supposed to be set in the Pacific Northwest, so that's appropriate. That is what the weather's like. And, of course, when you, uh, in the other world, it's always night, but it's always clear. You can always see the moon. The shadow on the moon is, of course, a giant button. And, of course, when the moon gets blotted out, that's when everything falls apart yep yeah there's not much light towards the end <laughs> yeah if you haven't seen the film it is i mean obviously we're highly recommending it it's mm -hmm. it's creepy it's weird it's it's a great halloween film so of course it was released in february <laughs> but as we noted on uh, the horror cast i don't think the studios have any understanding of when to release horror films anymore no I say that, but I've been going through some old newspapers because I'm, I'm a sucker for reading old newspapers and such, so I've been browsing a, an archive online. Come to find out, I mean, that's kind of actually how it's always been, really. I mean, yeah, there might be a more emphasis in years past, but uh, I've noticed that the gloomier months of the year do seem to draw a lot. Hmm. Like, I've noticed there's a... February, for some reason, tends to have a lot of horror movies. So, not that weird, but still kind of weird. That said... Speaking of weird and uh, horror movies being released in inappropriate times, The Purge 2 is coming out soon. Yeah, it's coming out in June. Oh, in June? Oh, God. I... Um, I was, Amanda <laughs> and uh, her friend, and um, our friend Rodney was watching the trailer for it. 
Mm-hmm. I still don't care. No. I still fundamentally think that is a... Here's the thing. It's a good premise. Mm-hmm. If someone like Paul Verhoeven were, were directing it, someone who could really wring every last drop of satire and then some from it. I just yeah. don't think it is. Uh, in fact, it's actually from the same writer-director who did the first one, who every, which everybody thought was a bad movie. So I, I don't know why anybody is getting any more optimistic for this one when... It's still, okay, admittedly, this time they're fixing the big mistake that they made the first time. Which was, hey, let's do a really uh, interesting, intriguing premise, and let's use that for a home invasion thriller. Yeah, well, from what I understand, just from, just from like the title and looking at the poster, it's, uh, it's set in the bigger world. Yeah, but you're still putting it in the hands of people who didn't know what to do with it the last time. Ugh. Well, anyway, let's talk, talk about... Horror movies released at bad times of the year. Let's talk about Paranorman. Yeah, just a little bit of interset, just a little bit of uh, interlocking material here. I know that Leica did have a CGI unit at one time, and that they closed it down. They decided they were going to only become a stop motion studio. Good. Again, Coraline was a big success for them. This one, uh, again, solid theatrical, more so on video has been a long player for them. It's done very well for them. So they decided, they felt emboldened with Paranorman to release it in the summer. They released it in August, didn't they? Yes, they did. Before we get into the film itself, let me pause to note what a bone-stupid idea that was. (laughs) Let me just, let me just call the studio out for a moment on this. Um, For Focus, for not Leica, because I know they didn't have any say in it. It was uh, Focus. This movie is the greatest Halloween movie for kids since, at the very least, I would say, um, Monster House. I think it's a better film than Monster House, and I really love that film. So, I mean, I I really love Paranorman. Um, Just to give away my thoughts on the film before we get to to discussing it. Uh, If we didn't love these films, we wouldn't have decided to do a podcast on them. Um, Right. They released it. On that day, somebody then pause and praise Cinemark for a smart decision that they made. They held the film from the dollar theaters until the week of Halloween. Ah, uh, awesome. So, I went with Amanda and Rodney to see it on Halloween. That was what we did for our Halloween. Good. Amanda and Rodney, if, you, if I haven't established this before, are both gigantic horror movie fans. And so, this was how we spent our Halloween was watching this movie. Excellent. There could not have been a better Halloween for us than this movie. This movie is a tremendous Halloween film, and I expect that over the years it's going to become extremely popular as such for kids. Yes. Because you want to talk about a perfect introductory horror movie for kids. This is it. And it's funny because it also uh, subverts a lot of the horror genre, especially the uh, zombie and paranormal ones. Yeah, this is this is a movie. Um, okay, I mentioned that Henry Selick was behind Coraline. This one came from people who were Ardman vets. Uh, I know that uh, at least one of the co-directors worked on. Uh, I want to say Flushed Away, and I think he did a little bit of work on uh, Chicken Run. The way that animation studios work, you do a little work on everything. But uh, you know, so this did come from Ardman vets. Again, as I said, they they fumbled the release. The film didn't do so hot theatrically. If I had to guess why they did it that way, it was that uh, Tim Burton had staked uh, the date for um, 
Frankenweenie very early on, and I guess they didn't want to compete with it. They really shouldn't have worried because they made a much better film than Burton. Yeah, I haven't seen Frankenweenie, but I mean, it's okay. And I, I just to pause for a moment, what happened to Tim Burton? I mean, I don't know. Like he he hasn't really made an original original film uh, since at least the mid nineties, which oh uh, no, I'd say Big Fish. I, I think Big Fish. Counts. Big Fish. That's true, and Big Fish is excellent. So since two thousand four. I don't know. I mean, this. I like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory quite a bit. Mm-hmm, I same. I like um, Alice in Wonderland to a degree. I it's definitely eh. flawed, but I enjoyed it. At least I had fun with it. Yeah, I could take or leave that one. But I don't know. Frankenweenie was just. It was muddled. It was all over the place, and it didn't work. The ideas were muddled behind it. Um, but, and I didn't even see Dark Shadows. Boy, did I not care about that oh, one, so. Oh, no. Uh-uh. I have hope for his next one. He's reteaming with the Ed Wood writers, but, ugh. He's, he's got a lot to get, he's got a lot to make up for, so. He's also doing Beetlejuice 2 with uh, Michael Keaton. That's what they keep saying. That one's been rumored for so many years. I'm happy never to see it. I'm happy never to see it. Um, And I say yeah. that as somebody who cannot wait for Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> yeah. But you know, at least with that one, I get a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody involved in that one actually seems to want to make it. But, I don't know, I so don't care about Beetlejuice 2. So, that's just, that's neither here nor there. Let's, let's, let's yeah. talk about, let's talk about the awesomeness that is Paranorman. Yeah. Again, before we go any further, we are going to fully spoil the movie from first frame to last. So, yes, if you haven't seen it, get on Netflix. It's a quick hundred minutes. And spoiler, it's about bullying. It is big time about bullying. You know, that's that's a good thing not to know when going in, just because it surprises you with that. But it it's like it's it sneaks that in through the premise of a uh, of a horror movie, and I and I do love that they snuck it in. Before we get to the film as a whole, can we talk about that opening sequence, the horror movie that Norman and his grandmother are watching? <laughs> yeah, that exposes. Uh, every zombie cliche there is, uh, especially with like a low-budget zombie film. There's a boom mic, <laughs> which the which the character pushes away from her. Uh, the zombie makeup is bad. There's like a very conventionally hot chick uh, who's being attacked. I think she steps in a brain. She she screams, then she stops, and then she screams again. Well, that's that's also a, uh, you know, the zombie is, like, coming very slowly toward her, and she's like, ah, and she's just standing there. And then she kind of, like, looks off camera. <laughs> so the director's like, really? Do I have to keep, oh, okay, ah! <laughs> this movie, and it's done with the film grain. I mean, Robert Rodriguez wishes he had gotten the atmosphere as right as this scene does. And that's coming from people who love the Grindhouse movies enough to do a cast on them. Yes. But this is this is that much better, because it's just so perfect. It even has, like, the Now Our Feature presentation opening. I mean... It does. With with the full frame, the uh, 4x3. So before we've even started the movie, we've already gone to places that a kid's movie wouldn't usually go. Right. You know, it pulls back a bit when the zombie... Uh, it's implied that the zombie's starting to eat a brain with Paranorman watching the TV. Or Paranorman... Norman! His Norman. name is not... The title character's name is not Paranorman. No. <laughs> Just to Norman. be clear. Norman. 
What's happening now? Well, the zombie is eating her head, Grandma. That's not very nice. And Louie does a brilliant thing, a brilliant reveal. I really like her, but she's a complete loser. Uh, yeah, I know. Hey, uh, Dad? Grandma says, can you turn up the heating? Her feet are cold. <laughs> now, Perry? How many times do we have to go through this, son? Your grandmother is dead! Grandma is a ghost. You kind of know going in that the whole premise is that he can... I don't know, does it ever say in the trailer that he can talk to dead yes. people? Yes, it does. It, it does. Okay. They, make, they make that pretty clear. Okay. I also want to talk about the trailer for a second, because that's the f like the first thing that caught my attention, aside from the fact that it's a stop-motion film and I'm kind of excited for stop-motion, is that the trailer was not a conventional trailer. It's set to uh, Donovan's Season of the Witch. You got to pick up every stitch. You got to Season of the Witch, yeah, which does show up in the movie. They, the kids are singing it. Which that sequence is hilarious. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Great. Now we'll never get to remember this moment. You suck. And it's so wrong. It so illustrates the movie. Let me just note for a moment, this movie probably did not play very well in Salem, Massachusetts at all. Probably not. The town is heavily based on that. And it guts them for it. Yeah, it's it's very based in, you know, that kind of, like, touristy town thing where it's like, oh yeah, there were witch hangings here. Let's merchandise that. Like, let's make, like, cute little tchotchkes out of everything. And, and come to find out, they murdered a child. Yeah! That is also another big twist. This movie is full of twists. Yeah, come to find out, the, the witch trials that they're so proud of was the murder of a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. For kids! Let's just remind you, everybody, this is a kids' movie. The family fiction! To quote the great nostalgia credit. Yeah. But, Jesus. Um, that is a such a chilling reveal. Like, every time I watch it, I get chills up and down my spine. Just It's horrifying. It is a horrifying reveal, yes. Getting back to the trailer. Yeah, it's a very unconventional trailer, and it, was very, and it looked very appealing, like a different kind of movie. And it was. It didn't disappoint. And it's funny, because the film could have also very easily cut a very conventional trailer and sold the film accurately. And eventually they did. Eventually they did cut a more conventional trailer. But, but again, the, the premise is that Norman is a kid who can... He sees dead people, so to speak. Sees and talks to. And it's it's very much, uh, it's very much a part of his routine. Um, you know, he's not freaked out by it. He's not like afraid. That it's not a sixth sense thing where he can see ghosts, but he's like so terrified of them. Yeah, there's friends. Yeah, there's friends. He's yeah. He says hi to them along the route, and well, people stare at him. And that scene where they show it, and you see it not from his perspective, but from theirs, is oh, it's really well made. It is. And then the camera does a brilliant move where it goes around him, and then when it comes back around to the to the back, then you see it from his point of view. And it and everything, ju the world just opens up. And it should be stressed that Norman, since he has this gift, it, 
rather inevitably follows that he's a horror junkie. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of the opposite of Cole from The Sixth Sense. This kid knows what his talents are and loves it. Yes, he does. He embraces it. He has zombie slippers. He has zombie movie posters. He has an alarm clock that goes... We should make it very clear, by the way, this movie is absolutely wall-to-wall, frame-to-frame, references to horror movies. I mean, this is a movie that really earns them, too. Not just that, but Scooby-Doo. Like, there's there's a big dig at Scooby-Doo in the middle of the movie. Would have been a quiet night, too, if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. Huh. Sweet baby Jenkins! Oh, yeah, hardcore. I mean, this movie... It, it does its references right. This is a movie that... It's not like it's using them for window dressing. This is a movie that was made by people who know horror movies and who understand them. And as with Coraline, it gets pretty pretty damn scary in places. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, it's funny. It's, it's the uh, unsettling factors are more thematic than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not jump scares. And, and God, there are gross parts like, oh... The, um, the uncle. Yeah. Uh, the, the creepy uncle that nobody likes to talk about, Mr. Prendergast. Oh, this is a good, por- this is a good moment to talk about the uh, voice casting in this film. That's true. John Goodman is the uncle. Which, is there ever a time that John Goodman being in a movie isn't a great thing? Never. Norman is played by Cody Smith-McPhee, who was previously in Let Me In. Oh, no- oh yeah, he was the kid, wasn't he? Nice. He's got his horror movie uh, credentials already sewn up. His uh, mother is uh, Leslie Mann, who, let's face it, um, point to all the Judd Apatow films. Nepotism is not always a bad thing, people. There's proof. There you go. Father is Jeff Garland. Who is generally just one of those figures that I just like seeing in movies. He just... Yeah. He's always fun. Um, His sister is Anna Kendrick... Yes, who is also Scott Pilgrim's sister. At the, and honestly, the character is very similar, so... It is. She is. Except except maybe a little more vapid. Yeah. Okay, so it's more her part in Twilight. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, She's got a crush on a jock played by Casey Affleck. Yes. A very good actor who deserves to be referred to by things other than his brother. Right. He's a good actor who's done solid credentials, especially here. Well, there's also there's also Alvin, who's a Christopher Mintz Plaus. Why don't you go see some more ghosts, Goober? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Who plays a bully part for once. McLovin. Uh, by the way, who would have thought that he would have gone on to prove to do as much more than that part that he has? Uh, mm-hmm. I always love seeing him in stuff when he shows up. He's one of those actors. I, I'm i always glad to see him in something. Yeah. He, he's proving to be a really strong asset, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm always happy to see him. He's he's funny. He's also uh, in uh, How to Train Your Dragon, so. That's true, he is. Yeah, so he's, yeah, he plays the bully in the film, the prerequisite bully. Yeah, so basically, uh, yeah, John Goodman plays the uncle, Mr. Prendergast. Which, by the way, do you know what that term, do you know what Prendergast means in uh, German? What does it mean? Ghost catcher. Oh, that's wonderful. They knew what they were doing on this movie. Oh, yes. But yeah, this uh, Prendergast, who is basically an older, crazier version of Norman. 
Uh, he can all. He also has the gift. And I should note a a very cool design thing on this film. If you look very closely, look at everybody's eyes. Uh, everybody except Norman, Mister Printergast, and Aggie. Everybody has perfectly round eyes. Uh, but Norman, Aggie, and Mister Printergast have very blocky eyes. Yeah, like everything is at angles. They see the world differently. Initially, by the way, the plan for Norman was that he was going to be uh, a larger kid. And they only decided to make him kind of gangly because of uh, McPhee. They decided to make him look more like his voice actor. So that's why they Hmm. took that shift in character design. I think that's a better choice. I think so, too. Especially because of the bullying thing. Yeah, that's the stereotypical bullied kid. But, um, yeah, and we see at school, I think... The greatest, one of the greatest introductions, this this film has a lot of great reveals and introductions. One of the greatest introductions to the fact that he's, like, this is a daily thing for him is that he, you know, goes to his locker, he sees uh, Freak uh, written on there in, like, thick marker, like, permanent marker. He sighs, opens his locker, and immediately takes out a spray bottle and rag. Yeah. And just starts going away at it. He's just resigned to it. Yeah. And, you know, across the way you see uh, you see another kid doing the same thing with, you know, Fatty written on his locker. So, you know, that's another great that's another great introduction to that character. But yeah, and then of course, you know, we're introduced to Alvin. You know, the there's the, the play rehearsal. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he closes his locker and like, see you tomorrow, freak and he, you know, doesn't bother he just leaves it there. That, that's kind of a nice portrait of that, actually. The fact that he's resigned to it. Yeah. Because, believe me, as someone who was bullied, it that is where you come to be about it. Is you, come, you do, to some degree, face a moment of resignation. Yeah. It is not a pleasant thing. That whole thing is introduced. And, of course, on the way home, he kind of befriends uh, uh, Neil. Who is a great character. Oh, such a great character. You can't stop bullying. It's part of human nature. If you were bigger and more stupid, you'd probably be a bully too. And you know, that's true. That's very true. Like with anybody. This is this film does a great accurate portrayal of bullying that just Which I know that's a hot button issue right now, but it should be. This is one time where I'm like, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, it is it is very prominent right now and it's good because that that issue does need to come to light. It so needs to, and children need to know how to handle this. And the the movie, the, there's a big theme running through the movie of acceptance. Um, but we're going to touch on that later. You know, but you're right that Neil gets introduced, and there's kind of a strange, not really friendship that forms between the characters. In that Norman yeah. has been so burnt by the world that he doesn't really know how to react to someone who wants to be friends. Yeah, he just, he's like, nah, I just prefer to walk alone. Even though, as we come to find out from Neil's ringtone, he does have a lot in common. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Wanna play some hockey? Halloween theme. The Halloween theme, yes. Which I love. Like... Although it doesn't really work because he's wearing a hockey mask, so it's like you're confusing <laughs> your horrors. You're confusing your horrors. 
But you know, they, I'm sure they were fully aware of that. Look, if it's a it's a double reference to two great slashers, so I'll take it. Yeah. The fact that they bothered to pay to get the rights to the Halloween theme, I'll I'm fine. <laughs> but yeah, unlike Coraline, this is definitely set in the modern day now, because um, there are cell phones and texting and all that. But God, I love how they do the cell phones in this movie. They're with they go along with the style. Mm-hmm. Like the fonts and everything, um, and just the very angular nature of the world. I can see ghosts too, and I know that's not all you've been seeing lately, is it? Bad omens. But yeah, the uh, the character dies and turns into a ghost, and uh, it comes to Norman through the toilet. Uh, I think one of the greatest jokes ever put to a PG-rated kids film is. Tell me you'll do this. I... I... Swear! You... You mean like the F word? I mean promise! Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's... That's that's pretty... This this movie really tests its PG pretty hard. It This is a hard PG. I love it. But suffice it to say, things... Things don't go well from there. No, no. He goes to the house. You know, he sees the dead... Mr. Prendergast, and God, the scene where he's wrestling the book away from him, and especially the aftermath, is so disgusting. It's 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 repellent. Yeah, by that time he has like rigor mortis, so you know he the dead body like falls on him, and his tongue slips out, and blah, blah. yeah, ew, that's so gross. But yeah, and then he goes to the gravesite and uh, interrupts. Interrupts Alvin trying to break dance to impress some people. <laughs> We're just gonna let that moment pass as having been it's something to see. Yeah, you, we can't. Fix up, look sharp. A clip won't do it justice. Uh, us describing it won't do it justice. You just, just watch the it. movie. It's funny. Don't make me break the Get yeah, of course Alvin follows him, and uh, you know he tries to read the book only to discover that it's basically a fairy tale. Things go south, zombies awaken. You know, at that point, Alvin has joined him in the story. Kind of resigns the bully status a little bit. Yeah, Alvin does grow quite a bit through the story. Yeah, like, even though at the end he's still a little misguided, he, you know, he he does grow. You know, they have, of course, uh, all the great zombie tropes in that little little house, uh, Mr. Prendergast's place. Oh, they do every zombie cliche you could think of, and then they turn them completely. Mm-hmm. I think the first in- the first inkling that uh, you have that the zombies maybe aren't really a threat after uh, Neil's brother and Neil and uh, per- and uh, Norman's sister come into the mix. Norman's sister is very, very, very hot for uh, Neil's brother, who just doesn't seem to pay her any attention because he's kind of dumb. At least you think that's the reason. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But it kind of is, kind of isn't. And God, another another PG-pushing joke for you. When uh, uh, they show Neil in front of the TV, and he's just like stuffing his face with chips. And watching an exercise video. <laughs> that's right. Man, the animators were... Fascinated by gigantic asses in this movie. Yeah, they were. <laughs> like, at the appropriate times, though. 
No, they, yes, but uh, right, right. still. The appropriateness, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, PG, good God. Neil! Can you get the door? I'm busy! Are you freeze-framing Mom's aerobics DVD again? No! Like he's not he's not doing anything though. He's just he's just sitting there staring at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's insane. So yeah, they all team up. And the first inkling that the zombies may not be a real threat is when, you know, they all get in the van and then you see it pull off and they're just kind of freeze framed in place. And they see that one of their cohorts, like the the judge, he's like on the back of the van going like, Help guys yeah. And they're just staring at him, going down the road, like, okay, let's go this way. Uh, once the zombies show up in town, the townspeople decide to absolutely gut the cliche and chase after them. <laughs> let's hang him! No, you can't hang him, stupid! It's the 21st century! Then let's burn him! I love that it's like, you know, these guys are Puritans. To throw, like, 1600s Puritans into the modern world, just watch them freak out. It's it's fun. It's fun. And it's about the point. And finally, the zombies do get the chance to speak and they reveal what they need. And it is passed on you according to your grievous crimes. Execution! She was just a little kid. She's implied to be Norman's and like his great 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 many times over aunt. Yeah, because her name is also Prendergast. Yes. And not not only can she see ghosts, but she also has this like electrical power. Yeah, which could not have been done in stop motion. It is CG and it looks fine. Uh, I mentioned we talk about her voice now. Like the scary children in... Case 39, Silent Hill, Cabin in the Woods, and I'm sure mm-hmm. a few others that I couldn't bring up. She is voiced by Jodell Furland, who uh, uh-huh. at 20 is probably aged out of this the creepy girl part, but man, did she have an unprecedented run at it. I mean, she had a long run in that part. Yeah, she did a great job. And I think it's fitting that this is probably the last time that she plays that part, because she's... Come to find out, she's not actually that evil. She's just very misguided and hurt and filled with rage. And that this curse came about because of those feelings. Which are the feelings that someone her age would feel. Yeah, exactly. It's a really great scene at the end where uh, this this film has a very goosebump-inducing climax. Uh, it's a great scene where they're just where they're just talking, and Norman is trying to convince her to, uh, you know, stop what she's doing. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's not only Norman trying to uh, talk her out of doing what she's doing, but it's also him kind of, at the same time, getting out all the stuff that he's been feeling. It's it's brilliant. It's lovely. It's lovely, and it's a really powerful moment, and the film earns it. Yeah. One of the great little moments is when he finally kind of gets her to calm down a little bit, and they, you know, she stops breaking everything apart. And by the way, the 
And the animation, by the way, when when she has just gone fully, completely crazy, is terrifying. Oh, it is. I, I know how you feel. No, you don't. You don't know anything about me. I know your name is Agatha Prendergast. What? And I know you're probably tired, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's really late, and it's been a long night, and we're, like, only 11 years old. I don't want to go to sleep. And you can't make me. It's it's kind of half CG and half puppet. They actually did uh, like the way they the way they make these films. They did this with Coraline. They did it with Paranorman. They do it continually. Is they they use a three D printer. Yeah. They model these things in computer. Uh, all the different facial things. Like they have so many thousands of faces for these things. It's kind of amazing. Um, and they like erase, you know, they erase the seams through CG and all that. So it's a nice little hybrid. Um, yeah. But yeah, they 3D print these faces and, uh, you know, do one by one. So all the like little things that she does where it looks like she's having like two faces, you know, where she face kind of splits in twos and fours and does those warps. Those are all conventional. Like those are real models that they, that they use just for those split second frames it's kind of amazing the the work on this film is really stunning it is so cool uh one, one of the cool moments when everything finally settles down is uh she has a moment where she's remembering back she's like but i just want to hurt them and then she like there are butterflies flying all around and when she says that her eyes glow and you know she see and she accidentally uh fries one of the butterflies and she sees that and goes oh jesus yeah, there, there's some heavy themes going on in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this film almost feels like a reaction to school violence and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And to what what happens, and it's it's really well done. Um, needless to say, there is a happy ending. There is resolution. Yeah, I realized that we kind of dodged a lot of like the action that happens in the middle of the film that's because this is a very action heavy film and it doesn't lend itself well to description it doesn't there's it's a long chase scene much of the second act is a chase one of the things i think we should go deeper into on that though is the scooby-doo element because basically what they do is uh they take all that and invert it to what it would really like be like like velma would not be uh, riding in the car with them, they would have just left her at home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's only one, like, guy who really knows what he's doing, and, you know, all the rest are just kind of following him, and... If I'd known there was so much reading involved, I would have brought a completely different group of people who hate me. Yeah, there's not a lot of bright people in this movie, let's face it. And that's what kind of makes it fun, is that twist on the genre... But, I mean, as I said, there, there is the idea running through the movie that everybody has something hidden inside of them that's unexpected. Yeah, exactly. And I love, like, that comes out in the uh, at the end of the courthouse sequence. Are you talking about the scene where the sister steps up and defends her brother? Yeah. Yeah, she shows her true colors in that scene, and that's really powerful. Yeah. Because the townspeople inevitably do turn on Norman. And uh, just like, just like um, a repeat of the... Uh, 400 years ago since it is the 21st century let's let's talk about an outrage that came up about the film 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes, now, yes, yes, Now, before yes. I get into this, let me pause to note, The Film Room is not a political podcast. We do not discuss uh, political issues on this cast. Yeah, it's not It's not a platform for that. We definitely have our political interests, but this is not a platform for if that. If we choose to do uh, our interests, we do so in specifically designated casts, uh, such as ones that you will hear in time. But we try to stay away from politics. That said... Let's play the clip of the brother. So I was thinking maybe we could catch a movie sometime. Nothing's scary. That sounds great, Kathy. You know, you're gonna love my boyfriend. He's like a total chick flick nut. <laughs> That's people, such a great reveal. It is, and people got outraged. Um, I believe I this is the first time that a character has been openly gay in an animated film aimed at kids. <laughs> Now, the idea was to invert the stereotype of the dumb jock to throw on an extra level. That was what the filmmakers planned. They've talked about that scene because they knew it was going to come up. That was not a line that was thrown in by accident. Obviously, when you do movies like this, you don't get to have accidents. It is a punchline to a joke, like to a long-running thing, but at the same time... You know, it's just, I think it just kind of makes a statement that gay people are just like everyone else. There are gay jocks out there. We are currently in, we are currently about a week removed from the reveal of uh, Michael Sam's. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. I have a number of people in my life who are gay, of course. I mean, inevitably, if you live in the modern world, you do know people who are. And personally, I'm not offended by that line. I, uh... I liked that touch. I thought it was a nice touch, and the outrage that it got, I'm not happy with the outrage. I don't like it. No. Um, it is not a stretch to say that I absolutely have no problem with gay people, and so if they're going to be represented in my animated films, fine. I think they should be more represented. Yeah, they're a percentage of the population, too. I'm, you know... I mean... For God's sake, they just revealed that a character was innocently had a boyfriend. They didn't say anything grotesque. They didn't say, well, yeah, um, you know, I'm in a uh, bear-cub situation. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. It was, it was a PG-rated <laughs> reference. The mo- again, the movie got a PG rating. Let's not forget. Exactly. So, I just, I don't know. But, but you know, I saw this movie with uh, my wife and one of her close friends, and we really, we had a great experience while watching it because there was a little kid in the theater who was really enthusiastic. And about halfway through the movie, there's a lull in the action, and he screamed out, What's going to happen next? <laughs> That's wonderful. That kid probably became a fan of horror films that day for the rest of his <laughs> life. Oh, thank God for that. <sighs> this, is, this is such a good movie. It's so effective. It works on every level that is intended. I've tried to kind of avoid going too much into the plot because I do want, because I want people to discover it, and certainly to avoid going into the jokes because you need to see it. It is a very funny film. Frequently, there's a lot of great one-liners. There's a lot of great visual gags. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, I, I love the itchy wieners gag. <clears throat> you'll you'll know it when you see it, but. One of my favorite things is like the the callback to the uh, uh, the thing we see in the film, like the zombie trope that we see at the very beginning of the film, which is 
the zombies moving very slowly and the person just staying there, you know, yeah. for like no reason. Later in the film, it gives somebody a reason to stay there, and it's really funny. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy foreshadowing in this movie. Virtually everything in the first half comes back around in some way in the second half. Um, there's a key line by Norman's grandmother. I'm sure if they just bothered to sit down and talk it through, it'd be a different story. Yeah, I'm sure they could work it out. And now, the, uh, that's kind of a big hint for what's about to come later in the film. Right. Even though at that point you just kind of roll your eyes and go, that's not how it works. Well, maybe maybe it does. Maybe um, it is. Yeah. Again, I really hate how this... I wonder how this movie must have played in Salem, Massachusetts, because they absolutely <laughs> eviscerate the uh, Salem witch trials and things like that, and they're mocking of it. Um, they they really castigate any town that uses a massacre uh, or any horrible, violent event for tourism, which there are a number of them that do. This movie smacks these people down. It's It is a giant cry for tolerance, and... It's a wonderful film. And again, the perfect Halloween. I, I'm still grateful. You know, as much as I like to kind of dog on the Dollar Theater, um, Cinemark has a habit of, like, releasing films to the Dollar Theater at just the right moments. That's really cool. I mentioned before that with the Kill Bill Volume 1, they waited to release it to the Dollar Theater until Volume 2 was in theaters. That's excellent. That's a great way to drum up business. Suffice it to say, that was a very good day at the movies for me. I don't know really what more to say about it. I will say the novelization is recommended because it does flesh out some details from the film. Hmm. This, uh, it's, it has a very good novelization, and I do recommend reading it after you see the movie for the details that it fills in. It's not just a quick scene for scene and some of the stuff. No, it, it does a really good job. It does actually kind of provide some more background. Hmm. That's pretty cool. And uh, I'd also recommend, after you see the film, listening to the Brad Jones review of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you recall, but that was done in conjunction with the Oogie Loves review. That was, they did that. I do remember that. Yeah. Suffice it to say, Jones and company liked this one a little bit more. Just a little bit. Just, just a lot more. As in, it uh, wound up on Jones' best of the year list. And, and it certainly did online. I, yeah, Paranorma is my favorite. Is my favorite film of 2012. I, I believe I have a review up too, so I think we can link to that too. Because, yeah, I just this is this is just something really neat, and it's on Netflix. That's the thing. This is a quick hundred minute sit on Netflix. No excuse not to watch it. There's no excuse not to watch it because the vast majority of you have a Netflix subscription, so. Use it. Watch it. And I will note, cheers to Netflix on this. They use this movie big time in advertising. Good. As they should. This is one of the movies that they're really proud of pointing out that they've got the rights to... uh, I think they cited about as much as they cite The Hunger Games. And that made a hell of a lot more money, so... Good for them on that. Um, We should mention that their next film hits uh, September... Yeah, uh, September 26th, they believe. Yes, uh, The Box Trolls. They've already got trailers for it out. I've seen it on Frozen and uh, the Lego movie, so certainly the trailers are showing up. Yeah, I saw it on I saw it on Lego movie last night. I mean, yeah, they're, they're doing a good job of getting the trailer out there. I'm seeing it a lot, and 
this is a an early trailer that shows how they make the worlds. Right. And it's kind of amazing. Like, they, uh, looks like they do, uh, some animatronics with their puppets, which is really cool. Yeah. And it's not something that's entirely new. Yeah. Uh, they did some of that with Corpse Bride, where some of the things are so small and so fine that they do have to use unconventional methods of manipulating them. Uh, that's pretty cool. It, it looks neat. Um, looks like there's a lot of gear motifs, which is cool. I'm... Uh, I'm a I'm a borderline fan of steampunk things. I just kind of like the style. I do too, and I and I kind of feel like uh, you know even stuff that's not really steampunk, but that's like retro future stuff. I'm always good for that. Right. For instance, I'm one of the people. I'm one of the people who still loves Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun movie. You're all idiots who didn't get it. <laughs> that's all. Um, but I, I yeah this. It looks fun. It looks very British. I'll say that. It looks very British. Good. Yeah, Leica is a British company, so them getting to do something like this. Like, you know, Coraline was very much an American film, and so was Paranorman. It looks it looks fun. I mean, it really looks like fun. Um, we don't know too much about it right now, but um, it, it does have a neat look to and it. And that's okay. And again, I like that they're advertising it now. Yeah. I love that they have to, uh, they feel like they have to uh, continually point out that, no, this is not CG, this is stop motion. Well, people are, people are dumb. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, at the end of uh, each film, Coraline and Paranorman, there is a little bit of, uh, like, just the raw, like, at the end of Coraline, there's um, like the raw footage for how they animated like the like the paper mice coming out of like the uh, cool. or coming out of the keyhole, and that's that's pra- that's practically done. Like they do it with a rig; it's not CG at all. You know, with Paranorman, they have like a little. There's an extended version of that of the end of uh, like the Paranorman modeling online. There's an extended version of that, which I've seen. It's just surreal how in-depth the work is i mean there's artistry to the reason that we don't have that many stop-motion films is because it is so damned hard to do it is it's a very labor-intensive it takes a lot especially now in this hd era you know you have to put a lot more detail into things i mean i think it's telling that on the lego movie they dropped the frame rate to to match the look of stop-motion right Look, we're not going to be done discussing that movie until we're done discussing movies, okay? Right. <laughs> it's so packed. I'm damn, I'm damn glad that there's companies like Leica out there. This uh, medium definitely needs to continue. Is I know some people that are put off by stop motion. I don't understand that. It's so fascinating because it's a hybrid of live action and animation. I think it's because it is sort of unsettling. I think that's why most movies that have been made in stop motion have a horror bent to them. That's true. Like, there is a, uh, you know you're seeing something that's live action-ish, something that exists in the real world. But, you know, it it's moving out. So, like, the first time, like, I have, um, I have made a couple of, like, little stop motion projects the first time I ever stop motion animated, I was freaked out by it. It's surreal. Yeah, seeing seeing the end result, it's like I did that. Oh my god, it's coming to life. What's going on? 
I, I just, I'm glad. And cheers to Focus. Again, I chewed them out for their terrible release strategy on Paranorman. But you know, at least they believed in the film enough to try and give it a summer release. It was a bad idea. And again, I should note, the film's done much better on video. Uh, and it didn't do too badly in theaters. It just kind of got buried. You know, cheers to Focus for getting behind them and for staying behind them. They've had a big change in management at that company. So they're going to try and do a little bit more mainstream films. But I really, but I strongly suspect that a company like this is one they're going to keep working with. Because again, the movies are big catalog titles and uh, it's good work. So yeah, onward and upward. Anyway, when you hear us next, you'll hear us talking about something. There will probably be a movie involved, so. But, but here's what we can definitely tell you. Where can you reach us? You can definitely email us at uh, filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Send us cast suggestions, send us criticisms, send us love. Um, send us anything you like, as long as it's legal. You can find us on Twitter at, at filmroomcast. We post cast updates. We post, you know, what's what's coming out. Uh, we retweet movie news. We retweet movie things. Just movies, movies, movies. Uh, that's what it's about. Our individual Twitters. I am at Primitive Man PRD. Austin is at Untitled User. We also talk a lot about movies, but we also talk about other stuff. I've been going very heavy on Sherlock lately. Yes. Yeah, you just saw uh, the end of season two. And the beginning of season three. Yeah, which I haven't seen yet, and good lord. That is just an intense pair of episodes. That 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 may be uh that may be a uh that may be a subject for a future cast because those are film length. <laughs> they are. They um that's a very unique show. Three episodes per season, hour and a half each. And all awesome, so we'll, we'll that's one for a future cast, I think. I think so. I think you're right on that. Facebook.com slash The Film Room. That's our uh, page. You can like that. Please like us. Please like us. Like us. You know, of course, we post on all these outlets. We post uh, whenever new casts come up. We try to have different, like, everything's not unified. Like, if you see a post on the Facebook page, it's probably not going to be on the Twitter. And if you see a post on Twitter, it's probably, you know, we do it for what's appropriate for the medium. Our blog which uh, has the accompanying links and accompaniment to each cast. Uh, It's also, the link is also the source for the cast, thefilmroom.podbean.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes. Uh, Rate us on there, rate us, comment. As the Game Grumps say, like, comment, subscribe. Yeah, that's about it. We will check in with you next time and uh, keep, keep moving along. Yeah. Keep supporting those stop motion films. We need more of the medium. Mm-hmm. Bye, everybody. The first moment that I met her, I did not expect the specter when I shook her hand. I really shook the glove. She looked into me so sweetly, and we left the room discreetly. No one else could know the secret of our love. Little ghost, 
Every morning I awoke, I see my little ghost, wondering if it's big or it's lying there. I lean to touch her and I whisper, but not brave enough to kiss her when I held her, I was really holding there. Little ghost, little ghost, one who's scared of the most, can you scare me up a little bit of love? I'm the only one that sees you and I can't do much to please you and it's not your time to meet the Lord above. Baby, I'm so sorry. You'll be all right. We're gonna get through this together.